0: Capitol with me, Naomi Isaac, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time here in Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. The roots run deep the soul
1: of earth. Protect.
0: From for over 400 years. Empire is the root of all evils. Turtle Island, or so-called America, which is the name that was given to this current U.S. settler colonial project, has been founded and sustained by a dangerous quest for a massive accumulation of wealth. This project has been endured at the expense of all things except the affluence of a small elite class of real estate developers, business owners, politicians, and militiamen. This occupation was founded on the principle, those who don't work don't eat. Yet somehow those who do the least work have eaten enough to collapse the entire ecosystem while the rest of us starve. The matter of who holds the keys to a white house built on the mounds of black laborers is irrelevant. All cops are bastards, right up to the highest cop in the land. And similar to cops, It's unrealistic to think that a state, which has only managed to prevail by imposing chattel slavery, creating mass poverty, and denying so many their inherent human rights, could ever be reformed. In 1690, the wealthiest 10% of all U.S. colonists owned about 47% of all the wealth. By 1775, those same people owned nearly 70% of the wealth. Today, the Federal Reserve estimates that the wealthiest 10 percent of Americans hold up to 88 percent of all available equity in corporations, as well as mutual fund shares. White Americans hold nearly 85 percent of the nation's wealth. That's compared to just 4 percent for Black households. The Biden-Harris team has argued that this election was the battle for the soul of the nation, and they were right. What this election season has taught us is that no master is the best master. And electing the father of mass incarceration and a former cop is an extension of the very same plantations our families have been running from for over 400 years. Decolonial academics such as Nikki Sanchez have stated that colonization is contingent upon a historical amnesia. Not only do we fail to reflect on the trauma inflicted by and on our lineage, but we gaslight ourselves, we displace ourselves from this moment in reality, and we work harder to forget our thirst for freedom than to reclaim it. In fact, it was Angela Davis who warned us that democracy requires us to discard the sins of the American kleptocratic government every four Novembers. The Black Anarchata movement and other Black radical traditions have risen in response to political alienation and the violence of imperialism. So it's not surprising that so many youth are identifying with anarcho-communism. Today I am joined by Black and Brown, Southern youth abolitionist feminist voices from across so-called Virginia as we discuss moving past elections and into revolution. Our guests are Asma Alamari from the Little Rad Library, Natha Romero from Virginia Organizing, Seren Glynn from Shift Network, and Aida Campos, a writer from Manitowoc Land. Don't forget, you can listen to Why All the Kids Are Communists Part 1 or last week's episode, Burn Down the American Plantation on your favorite podcasting app. First up, we start with the Race Capital Reframe. Where I'm joined by co hosts Chelsea Higgswise and Kalia Harris to discuss Richmond's Neighborhood Assistance Program, which allows civilians to act as law enforcement officers. You're listening to WRIR 97.3 LP. This is Race Capital, and I'm your host, Naomi Isaac. You're
2: about to pull up a volunteer RPD form.
3: Let's see. Neighborhood assistance officers.
2: Neighborhood
3: assistance. (laughs) I'm telling y'all. It was evolved from Neighborhood Watch. Okay, got it. Checking
0: vacation homes. Oh, so we defended property, but for free. That's okay. that's what you want
3: to do it's a uniformed volunteer uniform of the police department they do not have any arrest authority above or beyond that of any other citizen they are unarmed and drive a marked city of richmond police vehicle so you don't
2: get to arrest anyone but you get to wear the brand of intimidation for numbers out here you get a car and you get a uniform that's all some of these white folks black
0: folks that's all that some of these folks need it's so angering because again why does this have to be happening through the justice the quote unquote justice department why can't we just organize this you know like they would call that terrorist action if we were to organize ourselves in community defense like the black panthers and do this very same thing you know it's just so aggravating Yeah, it really is. They just want to have like a a vehicle to help facilitate white supremacists who want to be surveilling Black people.
2: And this was brought up because you said one of these volunteers was at the circle writing tickets?
0: Well, I was just on, you know, Instagram before we got on and I saw someone posted a video on, there was a video posted on BLM Occupier's Instagram that was showing a officer either writing a ticket or you know, just harassing folks. But we were a little taken aback given that this is not even someone who's an actual police officer. It's someone who's volunteering their free time to be harassing Black folks. Oh, volunteer.
3: I'm just taken aback because I was looking at the application. What makes you qualified for a volunteer? What types of things do they ask, Claire? Well, the only qualifications or requirements to actually be an officer are that you're 21 or older, you have a driver's license, you're able to pass a background investigation, and you're in reasonable physical condition, and of course that you're available on Fridays and Saturdays.
0: (laughs) Not okay. (laughs) That was too much. You not have to add that.
3: (laughs) That's. (laughs) That's when the duties are for these officers, generally, that's their most busy times. So you know, like if you're applying for a job, like in a restaurant industry, they try to get you to go on Friday and Saturday, it's similar here. But on the application, the part that is funny to me is that they they asked if you've ever been convicted of a felony. And then they also say, are you willing to volunteer your services or expertise beyond the program to assist the Richmond community and police department in achieving its goals in reducing crime? I would like
0: to know what occurred in 1978 that allowed this, the city council to administer this. Chelsea, do you know anything about the political climate during that time? Oh, boy, do I. In 1978, that was the year after the
2: very first majority Black city council was elected, right here in Richmond, Virginia, which means this is the first time they've ever seen Black people in power in Richmond, Virginia. Remember, this is after the longest voting moratorium in the United States. Richmond was not allowed to vote between 1971 and 1977 because we had a racist federal court case that they had diluted Black votership through annexing Chesterfield. So 1978, there was a lot of political organizing that was still going on because Black people had the vote. They had the voting power. And so what else could white folks do in that moment to regain power within the state than to up their policing?
0: This is also like really aligned with the Black Power movement of that era as well. So we have like Black people being more oriented towards sovereignty, militancy. So it's interesting that we we see all that taking place and then them helping uh, facilitate and empower vigilante groups.
2: Not to mention this is right when the drug war is popping off because the drug war was the structure and the tactical way to silence the Black liberation movement and criminalize them. So this is the way to say, oh, you! this is what's going on. It's so scary. What do we need protection from? We need protection from Black liberation, and we need protection from Black voters and to start disenfranchising people. And together, we can disenfranchise a whole community of people. So 1978, to start this type of knighting of white folks, volunteer militia, I think it's while they're calling it volunteer and you can get these type of volunteer hours in such a way that was rooted in a 1978 struggle, political struggle was happening right here in Richmond. Good question. I
0: call it neighborhood assistance when everything about it is an inconvenience. The people in the neighborhood is just laughable.
2: Well, it really is an extension of the neighborhood watch, right? I used to call the neighborhood watch neighborhood snitches, right? Like you are tapping folks for the the signs just so we got snitches in this neighborhood. It reminds me of the signage of the no drug zone, like these signages and the symbolism of the intimidation, whether it's someone's body in their uniform or in a sign is just a way to maintain the state violence of the control
3: of white supremacy in this you talking about the drug war and disenfranchisement just really makes me think of my own grandparents and their role in like civil rights work here in Richmond in the streets, like the folks that you will never hear their names in history books and how they were quickly then criminalized and, you know, thrown into jail and the stories became we're fighting police in the streets very quickly. And so It's just, to me, that all kind of adds up with the timeline of my own family history to hear about this.
0: Even my own family history, not even in Richmond, but just thinking that, you know, this is just, uh, just thinking all the lands and all the the struggle throughout the timeline is crazy. And to be rooted here in the capital of the Confederacy at such a heightened time in that timeline is also really crazy. Because don't forget, that's what they did after these elected
2: officials had such power. They used... This type of criminalization to start using even the drug war against these particular city council people that were sitting. If you look back in history, including the Richmond Times Dispatch, there's a lot of slander and propaganda against the Black city council people back then. And it's literally the same thing that we're saying is, oh, rehab and... Imagine what you see in politicians all over the country right now in scandals that was amplified and vilified to the 100th power with Black representatives back in the 70s and early 80s. So again, how we are using just our own individuals to criminalize folks. I mean, it was a structural individual per the state, per police. What a strategic plan
3: they had, y'all. A repeat. And it, I think what is also a repeat is that as we talk about this like when we think about Richmond history is that we don't ever talk about the work that happened in the streets like they didn't you know there wasn't necessarily a race capital back then talking to folks that are experiencing things in the streets so when i learned Richmond history it was very much like we had black elected officials that came in and then it became a black led town but Nothing about that struggle um, do we hear unless we talk to elders now that talk about like the communist struggle that happened here in Richmond, the struggle against the police back then even especially in this like 70s, 80s time.
2: And many people in Richmond talking about Black liberation and civil rights and what that movement looked like in Richmond, the race capital, what back then actually was August Moon. Uh, Many people know Anjali Moon right here in Richmond, Virginia. Her father was a legendary radio host that prompted and amplified activists, including Arthur Ashe right here in Richmond. And that's how many folks in Richmond were able to keep up with what was happening on the ground and if you know anything about richmond chatter you know that august moon was a liberation voice speak voice to powers truth to power and had his own bouts of being criminalized within the media and mainstream
3: well teach us yes i did not know that well this has been a fun bit of race capital history
0: well speaking of history we are about to get into discussing debating and critiquing this historical moment of the 2020 election with some very revolutionary radical we black and brown revolution. feminist voices from across Virginia. Stay Young tuned, you're listening to Race revolution. Capital on W-R-I-R 974. Must be African education.
1: We want a revolution. Young revolution. Black people, like people education. Go to school, brother, and learn what
4: they are doing. It will open your eyes to the people's situation. Go
1: to school, my brother. I said, Go to school.
5: I'll start off. Um, My name is Kaylin Powell. My pronouns are she, her. I'm here representing Imagine Abolition RBA. Um, We're just a small senior seminar sociology group from BCU who has been interested in police abolition and defunding Richmond Police Department. So we're just collecting information and knowledge from local activists, people of color, Um, historically marginalized groups and just the community to kind of um, start something from nothing. So that's all.
6: I'm Asma. I use they, them pronouns. I occupy uh, Powhatan land. My people are uh, Counterpower RVA and we're a multi-tenancy group um, along the entire U.S. And I also do Little Rad Library stuff in Richmond.
4: My name is Saren Glenn, my pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm originally from East Texas, but I currently occupy so-called RVA. Um, I am just coming as an anarchist political educator and a national organizer. Um, and I currently work nationally for the Power Ship Network, which is an environmentally-based youth network that focuses on changing movement culture to include those who are predominantly left out at the environmental spaces.
7: Go, hey go, um, Aida Campos, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, today, I'm just here uh, again as an individual. Um, I'm located um, on occupied Manahoac land, uh, also known as Woodbridge, Virginia. Um, um, really, um, I consider myself a writer. I do a lot of my own personal political and trauma healing through writing, and I'm currently trying to develop a career in which I uh, use that medium to help others in my community too.
8: Hey, y'all. Nata Romero, um, she, her pronouns, over here in Occupied Monaghan Land, and I've been organizing for a while in Charlottesville, and... I'm a member of Virginia Student um, Power Network and um, also uh, working for Virginia Organizing right now.
0: So let's just get into it. We know that the election has been a thing that's on everybody's mind, whether you love the candidates, hate the candidates or whatever. It's hard to escape the massive amount of people talking about this U.S. election. And with that, I just wanted to sit down and get some youth perspectives, particularly some abolitionist perspective. While a lot of youth were happy to see Trump go, we also know that the election of Joe Biden, as well as Kamala Harris, represents a very dark time for progressive thought, as well as a radical reimagination of what public safety could be across this land. The Biden campaign themselves have labeled this as the battle of the, the soul of the nation, quote unquote. So what are you all's personal reflections on the symbolism of the Biden election presidency and the impact that it will have on your communities? I personally see that like
6: Biden's ticket itself is a representation of the system itself. If you look at like his entire legacy, all of his policies that he has pushed has just like, it's everything that we're currently fighting against, including uh, like the prison system. The 1994 crime bill, which he co-wrote, is why U.S. prison population
4: spike? I would love to piggyback off of that, Asma. I think it's important that we frame looking at Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their ticket win as a way to understand that the DNC was there to just preserve its own entity right? We know that the DNC was not actually listening to the majority of voters or folks who they were hoping to turn out, but more so making a strategic plan to try and engage the centrist voters that previously turned out for Trump. And we know that majority of the voters who turned out for Trump were white people. And I think that in order for us to really hold the truth behind this type of presidency or this type of ticket, we have to acknowledge that because there's a new type of stability being ushered in, a lot of fast revolutionary aspects Dismiss their catalyst point. You know, us having all this uprising and this instability could have snowballed into a major pivot point. And now I think because a lot of the American population is back to business as usual, radicals and folks who are doing the real work now have to work 10 times harder. And for me as a political strategist and a political educator, that's the hard part to hold is that like I'm trying to help guide strategy, I'm trying to help folks think and reimagine of how we can continue to push these boundaries and barriers. And so much of what we could have done is now no longer on the table because of the way that people frame radical work and the context of which you can and can't do it. I would
5: like to say that, honestly, I was disappointed that uh, Biden was chosen as our Democratic candidate in the beginning because I kind of had the instinct that this would happen that people were people were voting for joe biden based off of obama's legacy and even with that being said a lot of misinformation and kind of not doing your research on candidates played a lot into this election so that was pretty disappointing to me especially when covid and all these things happen because as we see more progressive candidates such as bernie or elizabeth warren they talk about healthcare and matters that are important to us.
0: Well, let's get into the Obama administration and legacy since we touched on that. When we look back at Biden's long tenure uh, serving, he served as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee at the time of the Iraq War. Uh, In 1996, it was reported that Biden sold his house to a top executive of MBNA, which is a Delaware-based credit card company for two times the home's value, which meant a lot of people uh, figured that he was bought off by MBNA, and he's even been labeled as the senator from MBNA. He's played a central role in helping establish the student debt crisis, which has now reached $1.6 trillion, and now he's promising to fix that, and we're just supposed to trust him. Just so many things.
8: I think it's kind of funny that um, I didn't see the commercials and the stuff that he was putting out for his campaign. So I'm over here watching the debates, and I, like, suddenly I see, like, some people I recognize are, you know, white supremacists on the screen from Charlottesville. Right. And I'm thinking and not only that, so insensitively, like the news, I don't know which one, but they have been putting like a lot of the propaganda that comes out has been around them saying like, here, let's let's use Charlottesville as bait. Let's let's use what happened to us as bait. Meanwhile, I'm literally watching repeats of of stuff on TV. Why? Why is that what they're using? And and, and he, he gets to use that while also being the same person who has put us in this situation. And it's just, how does he get to separate himself from the white supremacy that he has upheld and then say that he is different from the Nazis and, and the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis who are here in Charlottesville and use that as a campaign tool?
5: It's, it's very disappointing that people value symbols and, you know, rather than actual truth and, and knowledge.
7: I mean, yes to everything that all of y'all have said. I think that what I'll say, what I'll offer up is, you know, to be frank, I did not even like try and focus on any of that last week because I was sitting there thinking, you know, like in reality, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter um, what color their bow tie is. It doesn't matter, you know these these labels that they try to use, right? Because the truth of the matter is their legacy says ad- another story. Uh, that's not the story that they wanna tell, um, but that, that is the story that is there. Um, and I think that, I mean, these past few months, right? Like COVID, you know, COVID is only, in my opinion, like it's only been a snapshot of a much darker, a much harder, a much more dangerous future. The reality is that this is almost like, you know, we've lost so many lives. We've lost so many community members. We've lost so many movement leaders. We've lost so many, you know, symbols of comfort to us. I mean, some of us have lost celebrities, major celebrities that, you know, yes, celebrities are all classes, but at the end of the day, you know, we have to, we do acknowledge that symbols of pop culture do bring us um, comfort um, as people. There's not hasn't been a lot of hope this year, but I will say that this year I've seen so many mutual aid projects emerge. I've seen so many survival projects emerge across the world. Right. And I think that a lot of this has almost provided folks an opportunity to practice and prepare for that dark, like that darker, more dangerous future that's coming. And it doesn't matter if it's coming at the hands of a Republican or of a Democrat because the reality is it is coming climate change is coming and at the end of the day instead of you know focusing on this election personally for these past few months i've been you know trying to harness my relationship with plants because the truth of the matter is when the climate does begin to collapse when global migrants do begin entering crossing whatever borders they need to cross to survive Folks are going to need to know how to take care of our people. We're going to need to know how to take care of our community. And the state isn't going to provide us the medicine to do that. So, you know, crafting those relationships with plants, crafting relationships with our bodies and our minds, especially as people that are non-men. I think that there's all this this, this entire realm of things that I we all should be, you know, focusing our energies on. Because at the end of this day, this election is just this tiny little, like, if we're talking about a a huge book, right, because I'm a writer, (laughs) if we're talking about a book, this is like one page. It's not even a chapter. Um, The chapter has been this entire, like, past two decades, right, and we've seen the atrocities the state has committed just in these two decades, so we need to plan ahead for what's coming, and so I think that, you know, in regards to the original questions, like, I really I don't care that Joe Biden's president. I wouldn't have cared if Donald Trump was president. What I care about is what skills am I, you know, preparing? Um, how am I identifying myself as an assist in the movement? Um, so that I'm prepared for when I'm called in for that help, you know?
0: Yes, that was some gospel because that's really the point. When when it comes to the way that we view candidates, a lot of people are talking about accountability. I just have this discussion in class today about accountability. How are we going to hold these people accountable? And it's like the the position of the presidency puts you in a role in which you are not accountable to the people. You will never be accountable to the people. And you will always be accountable to the corporations. You're always going to be accountable to industry and genocide. And so there's no way to hold these people accountable because they aren't, aren't entitled to serve us.
4: I, I personally am looking towards making sure that more and more folks aren't looking towards the electorate or the legislative system. Um, because we, from a climate, from a racial, from a like survival narrative, we don't have the time for inch by inch, pro- like, we don't have the time for legislative <laughs> um, And black people sure as hell don't have the time. We're being killed uh, constantly. Um, and so I wanna encourage people to call out the electoral process and acknowledge that it's systemically based on the occupation of indigenous land. And if we talk about liberation the way that we wanna talk about it, and we want a world the way that we wanna talk about it, that's not gonna happen with the existence of the US. And that's really hard for people to hold. But as a political educator, a strategist, and a political scientist, it's really important to know that all empires have a fall. And there's an opportunity to influence the next stages of that fall. But we have to be able to think ahead.
0: Given that Joe Biden has been accused of raping someone, given Joe Biden's history on women's issues and women's rights issues, what do you all like? How do you reflect on that? To make Biden palatable to be elected, they had to wreck the Me Too movement through
6: Stacey Abrams. If that didn't happen, he would have never gotten elected. So there's no way in hell would he like, he, is he a feminist or a queer president?
4: I try not to go into an an academic spiel at that moment Um, whenever these people tell me these things and that's just who I am as a person. Um, But realistically, I think if you think that, you haven't looked into these people's histories and or you don't understand feminism and queer identity as well as you think. And I would encourage you to ask a queer person how they feel about it. I also think that nowhere in here are we talking about disability justice um, or talking about how disabled folks got zero voices or or zero conversations or like just zero seats at the table, despite the fact that if I remember correctly, 62% of our disabled Americans are of color and of that 62% 40 are women or AFAB folks. So... I just think that people need to reevaluate the way that they think about a queer presidency or a feminist presidency or progressive presidency, and they need to re-educate themselves. And that's why I'm a proponent for political education in masses, right? It's not enough just to go and like do a webinar. Like you gotta be out on the streets, you gotta be offering that shit, you gotta be talking to your neighbors, you gotta be, you know, talking when we had Uber to your Uber drivers, to your Lyft drivers. Um, because the real root of this in any historical analyst or political science scientists will tell you, is the foundations for where we are now were laid a long time ago. And it started with defunding our education system. And it started with simultaneously defunding our education system and allowing for an immense amount of media propaganda, which we see are two of the largest players in dis- like information within our political system and our legislative system and our educational system. Um, and that's just another sector that we can't rely on the state for, which is why I'm a proponent for anarchist preschool. You know, that's why I'm a proponent for folks starting collective communities and looking at how they want to raise their kids and doing it together.
5: Yeah. And it's honestly disgusting. (laughs) If you think about it, it is really honestly disgusting that they would present these people in our face, knowing their history. These people know their history you know, they're, they're relying on us to not do our research. They're relying on us to be uneducated. Always, always in TV, in media, in every institution, they're relying on us to not know. So it's, it's honestly disgusting. And whenever someone, you know, gets a little too happy, like I understand to an extent, you know, with Trump and everything, but Whenever someone approaches me on that, I find it really important to, to educate them on, um, on what's really going on because this whole thing is kind of just pacifying. Uh, it's just giving us a bottle and telling us to be happy with it. It's, it's, it's nothing more than that.
8: When preparing for our revolution, y'all, because it is coming, and if we don't announce it and manifest it as such, as it is coming within our lifetimes, Some man tried to tell me, not literally like two weeks ago, yeah, maybe when it happens in our future um, or in the future of our children. I'm like, no, it's happening in our lifetime. And the reason is that we have men of color, even men of color, walking around supposedly on our side, right? Supposedly um, people who are decolonizing their minds and being anti-patriarchy, but they're not. And they're not actually doing the work. And that's why we have men who fail at revolutions. So how many failed revolutions have we witnessed? And so when we're preparing for ours, we need the blueprints ready and we need to make sure that we have type A, type B people everywhere, people that are really, all right, you wanna focus on that? You're gonna build a school. Let's, how are we gonna build a school from the ground up, right? How are we gonna do things from the ground up and not let these men, because this white man is not our savior and I and like no man is gonna be our savior. And until we have women actually being platformed, For our revolution, we won't really see progress. Like that is why Latin American revolutions have failed because Che Guevara was, right? Alongside all his other homies who supposedly were super left and we put them on pedestals today. Let us not forget, right? Also so many other revolutionaries, supposedly. We call them revolutionaries. Could be women as well who are actually, they're not class traitors. They're not. And, and we uplift their words without uplifting the words of women who are in the nitty gritty coming from the ground up for real, for real. Like, so I would say listen to the people actually in your community, even with it. Like, yes, educate yourselves, but literally educate yourselves with the people around you, learning the history of your community through the people around you, rather than continue to uphold these false icons, no matter who the f- they are I don't care who they are you know what I mean if they're not in your community you should not be sitting there idolizing them period period you work with them just to just to learn how to blueprint in your community and that is it because we are we're all going to see it very differently um, in our local level think local think local all the time organize 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 yourself organize your family units and your closest people and organize outside of your four walls
7: And just really quickly adding to, you know, what Nata said, like, I think, again, I just keep going back to the fact that it's critical for a lot, most of us, all of us, to turn introspective, like, to look into ourselves, and as Nata said, like, figure out what role we'll have in the revolution when it comes, not if it comes, when it comes, Um, and maybe it'll be, you know, that it'll take longer or shorter amount of time, but we need to be prepared, for what role we're going to take in. We need to know what steps we need to take to begin the work of healing our, our minds and our traumas and our bodies so that we're prepared. Because we need to be our we need to put our whole selves in creating the future that we actually want to see. We need to put our whole selves in giving land back to Indigenous folks and letting them letting them, allowing them to make the decision of how we are going to be allowed to exist on the land that they were caretaking for centuries. Um, Because at the end of the day, like, that's it. Like, we keep us safe. We, 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 capital we will be our saviors. Um, And we need to know how and when to do that. This might be the final confrontation.
1: Better away this reality
2: time to lose your sanity cause by the ballot or the bullet
0: know, serving as vice president or Kamala's position is actually in opposition to Black Chicanismo and uh, other feminist theory. It's
4: disgusting, disgraceful, and disruptive to, quote unquote, progressive politics. And arguably, I don't know if you've read her autobiography, but I feel bad for her parents to have to look at her. Use this sturdiness and this this sturdiness and this call of attention to command a room full of white men so she can pretend on TV that she is repping forth a type of hope for people who are um, from her background. But really, she just wants a key into the boys' club. And we've seen this. We saw this in the debates when Kamala wanted to make sure that. Everyone in the U.S. knew that she was supporting fracking. We we saw this when she threw trans women in jail. We saw this when she threw black men in jail. We saw that regardless of who her people might be or what identity she might claim, when it comes to legislative politics, once you enter that bracket, it doesn't matter if you're Kamala Harris or you are, you know, unfortunately Mayor Stoney, whatever. Once you step into the white man's playing field, you're playing by their rules and by their game. And unfortunately due to the way that white supremacy has embedded itself in the middle-class black America, you see a lot of folks with internalized anti-blackness really trying to perform and be the best black person or progressive or whatever you wanna name it for their white counterpart to get their approval. And I'm sorry, but liberation is gonna come from getting white man's approval.
0: I also think it really touches on the role of like HBCUs, like a lot of people, you know, repping Howard, and yes, we love the Mecca, but you gotta think about the university and HBCUs especially have played a large role in the stagnation of progressivism and radicalism, militant movements when it comes to black people and other people of color, um, because they have to, you know, you think about who started these schools, who gave them the money, who gave them the permission, we just have to realize that you know it's a breeding ground for making us as effective for the settler colonial project as possible. That's what the university is, and we gotta be honest about that. In a weird way, um, I think a
6: Biden-Harris presidency is going to make every organizer's job so much harder a lot of support that we got over the summer is because so many white people and there's so many like middle-class people were just so fed up with Trump. Not saying that I, I think that we need that support from middle-class and white people, but a reason why a lot of mutual aid programs did kick off it was because we got the money from white people like we got the the funds we got all that stuff from somewhere and it wasn't really necessarily from the working class initially We working class people still give the most i would i would argue but the large chunks of money come from white people middle class people and simply because harris and biden are in president everyone's going to brunch now everyone is taking a break they don't they don't care whatever. So it's going to make our jobs a little bit more difficult, not not saying that we can't do it, but it's going to make it so much harder.
0: And we saw this in 2016, you know, when people were organizing against Trump in pursuit of Hillary Clinton. They were like, all y'all Black folks, y'all need to get over here and help Hillary Clinton win. We did that after she lost. Then everybody disappeared. The money was gone. The support was gone. The passion was gone. We didn't hear from these white people, these liberals, until a couple months ago at the beginning of this year. And so I think a lot of the times folks think that we're exaggerating when we say, oh, you're just going to go back to brunch. But it's like, it, this is factual. You know, this is based off your previous actions. We've seen that you don't care once all of the campaigning is out. Or they immediately go back to elections. Here in so-called Virginia, we have elections every year. So it's so easy for them to say, don't do this this thing. Don't actually act on your radical imagination because we're just going to elect somebody to do that next year
4: no me. i would love to just chime in really quickly and briefly and just say that this is why i personally am writing a book slash trying to build a movement around acknowledging that we have an entire generation of young people who are gen z who are understanding that reparations is important who come from upper middle class families and although they may not be like the perfect white person, right? You say you want to help, let's talk about how we can move your money. I think we have to start leaning into understanding that we have to organize, organize, if not disrupt, if not cause some kind of reaction from that upper white middle class. And this is the same upper white middle class that loves to talk about how much they care about the environment because they're scared that their winter homes or their summer homes are going to be taken away from them. This is the same white upper class that wants to build a four foot by five foot sign in their front yard that says Black Lives Matter, right? This is the same upper white middle class whose kids go to Ivy Leagues and go to private liberal arts schools where their endowments come from slave bodies. They don't want to release their privilege because of the way that they have been processed to think about the colonial project, right? That like false narrative of scarcity. Um, I, I really want to, I want people who are listening to this to take away that really we, we should just forget, honestly, about electoral politics um, and really start building, like Adia said, those skills and those mutual aid networks and more importantly, calling people the f- out there should be a movement to get young white folks to start moving their money we don't have the time if you say something be about it otherwise i i don't have the time for you i want to see us marching down chesterfield i want us disrupting the you know wcc i want to see us i want to see us making it uncomfortable for them so that they realize that you no longer can set idling by the side because honestly, they're not gonna become Republicans like a lot of progressives fear. They, they look down on the lower class white identity. And that's a part of the historical narrative around how Republicans and Democrats have put themselves against each other and how low income white folks and high income white folks have been forced to think that Somebody else is the problem, right? For poor, low-income white people, it's always immigrants and/or black folks. For upper folks, it's always people who um, can't get an education or can't do whatever they deem to make their information seem legitimate. Um, and so, I just wanted to—I wanted to say that I really hope that we are pushing other organizers and other folks to disrupt those spaces, disrupt private schools, uh, because I think there are some really, really radical youth. Um, out there who are the kids of these parents. And I think we can build a transformative relationship with them and not have to rely on the state to do the work that we need to do.
8: To that, I would say like, we need to completely destroy the nuclear family. And and, and that, I I mean it in a way that is, like I mean it with my, my bone and my soul. Um, we need to move away from leaving in these places where we think that it is okay for us to take care of just you or just the three people in your house and recognize that there is literally people who need who we need like it's not there are some people who need no we literally all need to start moving in as units, as communities. Like we need to completely destroy capitalism. We need to take over some buildings and like be like, "All right, we're building a commune here." Hello. And that means like I literally Believe that we need to move away from stores. We need to move away from companies. I love us who are starting our small businesses. However, destroy that f- table. Destroy that. Like, why are we starting our new t-shirt businesses and everyone's going to the warehouse from Gildan? Destroy Gildan. Destroy it. Destroy it all. Like from the literally the beginning to the end of the process, we need to reclaim it all. Destroying big agriculture and all of it. Like. I think that we are obsessed with this thing of like accumulation of wealth, accumulation of resources. And I'm like, why aren't you accumulating in a community? This is how they keep us poor. This is how they keep us the way we are, right? Uh, how come it is that in the hood, we, we already knew how to share money? We, we already knew how to share food, um, but it was criminalized and it is, right? It, it constantly So, constantly fighting that narrative, constantly disrupting that, querying every single space that you can imagine. I love making people uncomfortable. I love it. I love it. And you can do it without having to go on an academic grant or without anything. You could do it at the grocery store. You could do it right outside. Um, and it starts by literally like calling shit out around you, right? Like you said earlier, calling things out and being like, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this, or hey, what you just did was classes, sexes, sex races, everything in between. Like, call it out for what it is. I'm just tired of people being so comfortable in their little nuclear houses. Oh, today I just fought my mommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah? Is that, that, that's not enough. That is not
7: enough. Going back to the uh, Kamala Harris question, it really does go down to what was said about white folks literally trying their best to still try to wrap their minds around electoral politics. Like, I don't know about y'all, but for me, it's mostly that I've seen white folks being like, yes, our first black vice president. Yes, our first South Asian, yes. I'm like, why are you prouder than like the actual community that this person belongs to? And the fact of the matter is because it allows them to feel like they actually accomplished something historical. And it's not like Kamala Harris as vice president is literally anti-feminist. Why? Because it is pro-capitalist. And, you know, there's this really cool Tijuana activist um, called Zayak Valencia, and they've written um, this text called um, uh, Gore Capitalism. Uh, And I just really recommend reading it because it really talks about how. Uh, We're at such a late stage capitalism where death is a commodity. And it just so happens to be that the people who end up dying most are non-men, are people with vaginas. And at the end of the day, Kamala Harris is for policies, for environmental practices that will be killing people, specifically Non men, specifically people with vaginas. So literally, like when we think about how capitalism, like Nata was saying, is literally drowning us. How? Why should we be applauding someone who is literally trying to convince us so badly that they are so pro fracking that like we should support her wholeheartedly? Like, why am? I, why are we supporting someone who is literally killing our planet? Like, why? The fact of the matter is that, you know, I've seen all these people, these representation politics, which at the end of the day, like, I do not give a what you look like if you are harming my community, if you're harming my planet. And I've seen it there, you know, I mean, here, even in Prince William County, you know, we have a Board of Supervisors member who is Salvadoran. Her name is Yesley Vega. And There was this Washington Post article that came out a couple of weeks ago trying to sympathize with why so many people in the county hate her and questioning why, like, even Latinos go against her and come out here and comment, like, even quoted me, like, like saying I don't claim her. And I'm like, why is this so difficult for folks to wrap their heads around? Like, we don't need to support these people because... They're doing things like supporting anti-migration policies. They're supporting capitalism. They're supporting anti-environmental policies. Like, it doesn't matter what they look like, y'all. Like, we need to move past this representation politics because at the end of the day, they're killing us. And are we just, like, why are we applauding that? Like,
0: How I see the the trajectory of our movement is that we need a militant, feminist abolitionist movement. And I'm gonna repeat that militant with a capital M, feminist abolitionist movement to take place because this doesn't happen in other places. At the forefront of their movements, the people burning things down, reclaiming power, taking over like taking over structures of the state and saying, no, you will not kill us anymore. That's women, that's non-men, that's trans folk, that's queer folk doing that. And we need that to happen here. We have trusted these cis folk these white folk, these liberal folk to lead the movement for far too long. And I said it in the summer and I'm going to say it again. Revolution will be queer as. F- Every single institution that we engage in in
5: capitalism is a great illusion. And the reason why, you know, these queer folks, these non-men, and it's because it's harder for us to, to not see the reality because we have to experience it every day. And people who have more privilege, they're able to sit comfortable in that illusion. They're able to sit comfortable and say, oh yeah, Kamala Harris, she's a black woman, everything's okay. But we know that it's not okay because we have to experience this every single day. So I think that's very important. to, to realize is that even our presidential campaign is a big illusion. They talk around in circles. Nobody can really even understand what they're even talking about. Even the debate, it's like a two-minute debate. How can you debate these major issues in two minutes? It's it's not rational. And no. we're, exactly, we're, we're steadily being confused and misinformed and uh, redirected in the wrong directions, you know, so... It, the, the important part of what, we're, what we will have to do is just look towards each other, look towards what we know is real, you know, our communities, our families, you know, people, our friends. We cannot look towards our institutions anymore because we cannot trust them.
0: Yes, y'all go ahead, let these people know how you disrupting white supremacy and where we can follow you.
8: I disrupt white supremacy every single day in my house. You can follow me at <laughs> <laughs> I describe
4: white supremacy by being a non-college educated person in a professional national position because we don't need white education to legitimize our own knowledge and lived experience. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at ermesol, so H-E-R-M-O-S- X-S-O-L, um, and you can be on the lookout for my upcoming book, Movement Without Barriers. Oh, and you can follow Marxist Mushrooms, where I teach and help folks grow mushrooms as a meat replacement so that we can help destroy big ag while we go into a more regenerative and restorative future. I also want to put a shameless plug, sorry. Um, I independently am going to be doing an event uh, called Reimagining Anarchy. Um, where I encourage us to look at destigmatizing and reimagining um, like collective emergent anarchist strategy um, without the state. And that's going to be in the uh, beginning weeks of January. You'll be able to find all the like registration links and stuff online on my Instagram.
6: I'm trying to disrupt white supremacy through my own personal belongings, including my home, um, as using it as a movement space. And you can follow me at Halal So Food on Instagram. And you can also follow the Little Rad Library on Instagram at, at Little Rad Library.
5: I'm disrupting white supremacy by using uh, my privilege as a VCU student, uh, while well using our privilege, me and our group, as VCU students to um, acknowledge the police brutality, the white supremacy that's going on on campus. And all the things that are wrong with VCU in general and police in our local communities. Um, You can follow us at Imagine Abolition RVA and we're just trying to get in touch with everyone. So the more people, the merrier. We're hosting a public Zoom event on December 2nd. It's a Wednesday at 7 p.m. And we're also inviting everyone that we had interviewed, all the local activists that we'd interviewed, to kind of get together and have this conversation with each other and, you know, kind of network and kind of make a ripple effect, you know?
7: I, was it resist or dismantle white supremacy? Whatever, either one I'm trying to do. So (laughs) I do that by trying to teach myself how to survive, by sharing art with others and by inspiring and in engaging art to exist and occur inside of others as well. And also I stay arguing with white Latinos. That's just, that's they just stay in my DMs. <laughs> but feel free to follow me, uh, my personal Instagram where I share a lot of mutual aid stuff actually. Um, so a.e.campus and uh you can also follow my writing instagram where i share a lot of my you know healing poetry um at underscore Metaflores. alright you all right y'all be doing shit. i like that
0: My slave name is Naomi Isaac. My siblings call me Nomi, and I'm coming to you with race capital on the land stewarded by the Pamunkey. My people come from Kairi, Ai Ai, the sand of the West African coast, in places I will never have the chance to know. They lived as maroons, migrants, mothers. Some have died at the mercy of this country. All have resisted against it. And in their exhaustion, they could not foresee the stagnation the electorate would bring us. But I will never forget the freedom my ancestors knew. I will lay down all I have to offer to my freedom if it breaks me, if it bankrupts me, if it kills me. For so many have died throughout this struggle and still all around us. Revolution is alive. If we have to fight, let it be to live freely. You're in the quest for emancipation on WRIR 97.3 LP, Richmond Independent Radio. Peace and power.